0: Welcome to this new Retina Radio mini-series, Matching Patients to Therapy in Wet AMD. My name is John Kitchens, and today I'm joined by two panelists. The first is Dr. Lisa Faya. Dr. Faya practices at Associated Retinal Consultants in Royal Oak, Michigan. She's also a professor at the Oakland University William Beaumont School of Medicine. Dr. Faya, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. A very nice opening there. Appreciate your time.
0: Thank you. And our other guest is Dr. Sumit Sharma, who is in practice at the Cole Eye Institute at the Cleveland Clinic and is also an assistant professor of ophthalmology at the Lerner College of Medicine of Case Western Reserve University. Sumit, thanks for joining
2: us. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to be uh, to join you.
0: Now, in this series, we're going to profile various real-world patient cases and really kind of explore which therapy options these uh, these patients really are best suited for. First, we're going to hear about the details of each case, and then after the break, we'll reveal which therapy our panelists would select. Let's kick things off with you, Lisa. Talk to us a little bit about your case.
1: So, you know, we know all this new and fun, exciting stuff coming out there, and we know we have patients who've been waiting for something different. I mean, how many times we hear that in clinic, right? So the case I have is a 78-year-old male who had come to me again, same old story, right? Decreased vision, previously diagnosed elsewhere with AMD, had some previous anti-VEGF treatments. And so he's coming to me, moved to the area, and I said, okay, let's see what you got. So on presentation, it was 250 in the right, 26 in the left, pressure's normal, maybe cataracts, nothing too exciting. And on the posterior segment, you know, it's typical AMD, right? He has like a, some druze in there. He has hemorrhage in the right eye, no hemorrhage in the left eye. And uh, that of a occult membrane in the right, an old-fashioned term there. And then more of a classic one in the left. And with OCT showing subretinal fluid in the right and interretinal fluid in the left. So, um, you know, we talked about his treatments. We he had previously been on one type of anti-VEGF. Didn't really feel like he was getting any uh, good bang for his buck. And so we said, okay, let's start something different. So we did uh, an uh, ranibizumab visit map for him in the right eye first. And then we did the left eye uh, at a treatment only visit. The reason we couldn't do both eyes like he had done in the past was um, where he had moved, he was about an hour away from seeing me. And unfortunately, he felt very badly asking anyone to ever help him. So he would just do one eye at a time. So it was an hour one way, hour back. And again, he would do it twice. So, for us, he had a wonderful response um, uh, in the left eye. The right eye had a response, but you know, you know, it still need a little treatment there. So, saw him four weeks later 20, uh, first, first of so first, all, 2080 and 2050 after the first injection. Gave him another injection one month later, 2040, 20, 2050. 20, oh, yeah, feeling great. Let's try to extend you because that's a, a treat and extend kind of gal. So, then we go to five weeks and visit uh, 2050, a little more fluid, subretinal fluid, interretinal fluid. Left eye still doing fine. Okay, well, okay, so we'll do it again, but let's not extend you. Let's go to five weeks. Unfortunately, life happens. So he came to see me six weeks later. Vision was back down to then 2080 with more interretinal and subretinal fluids. So, left eye, thank goodness, was the same and actually was doing well at 2040. So, then you know, again, we're keeping it four months and uh, eight months, eight to nine months after his initial presentation. Again, he's 2050 in the right, 2050 in the left. The left eye this time is active, uh, but he has Really, uh, you know, hasn't had an injection really that required for the left eye again since the eight-month presentation or first presentation. So uh, we talk about it again. I just can't do both eyes; I, it's just too hard. And I said, "Look, you know, you notice a change in vision. You kind of figure you need both eyes. Can you get a ride just every once in a while?" And again, he just feels so badly. And the hard part is too is even for the left eye. It was like, "Yeah, I just thought my eyes were dry." You know, that kind of excuse. Of course, though, he gets it both 2040, 20, 2050, 20, doing well. And so we know for his right eye, he really, really just can't go five weeks, even five weeks was a little bit of a push. So definitely no longer than six weeks for that right eye. Left eye, you know, seems pretty good. Doesn't mean it's always going to stay that way. But right now, in history wise, doesn't need as many treatments. He needs to travel an hour away, doesn't want to ask anybody. And in Michigan, there's a little thing called snow. And It kind of gets kind of crappy around here. And so now he's even more worried. Oh my gosh, what if the weather's really bad? I can't, don't feel safe driving. And next thing, my four-week appointment becomes a six-week appointment again or a seven-week appointment. What am I going to do? And so we kind of talking about our, our different options. You know, maybe we you know, kind of go from there and uh, knowing that he still had a follow-up for the left eye, but again, see what we could do for him. So that's kind of what our discussion was, like, okay, well, what's next? So that's what I got for you guys tonight.
0: Wow, Lisa, so listen, that was just a, a very complicated case. not complicated in the fact that we had, you know, some difficulty figuring out if this patient responds or not, but the fact that you have a patient with so many social issues driving themselves with bilateral exudative AMD, and both eyes are on different treatment schedules. And these are some of the most difficult cases for me to get my head around and to figure out the most efficient way to manage them. So let me ask you, what kind of pearls or or, uh, concepts do you have for managing a patient that has bilateral wet AMD, but those eyes are on different schedules?
2: Yeah, so it's often very complicated. The best best case scenario is when you have a patient who has uh, treatment intervals that just kind of match up. So one eye gets every four week injections, and the other one gets every eight week injections. That doesn't often work out though. And what ends up happening in reality is one eye is on an every five or six week schedule and the other one's on an eight or nine week schedule. And then what do you do? And it it ends up being very difficult. Sometimes I've switched medications and you can sometimes extend an eye a little bit further or try to match up those intervals a little better. Other times I unfortunately have to have the patient come back and that's a challenge in those cases. And then sometimes I've actually talked to the patient and said, you know what, if you want to stick with the same schedule for both eyes. Yes, there's a slightly increased risk in terms of the infection risk because you don't quite need treatment that often in your other eye. But I get the the convenience and the issues with driving, especially for those that are coming from long distances away or need others to help them come to the appointments. So there's no, sorry, sorry, yeah. say, there's no one solution. Sorry, there's no one uh, solution fits all. It's, it's very individualized in those cases.
0: Absolutely. You know, our problem solving extends beyond just figuring out what works for our patients and trying to figure out what works most efficiently for our patients. Lisa, I really am excited to hear
2: what you would do with this patient. Sumit, let's talk a little bit about your case. Go ahead and give us give us that. So my patient is a 69 year old male who came in with new onset vision decline in the left eye over about two month period. And he had a very, very large PED with dye leaking into the PED as well as uh, fluid exudation on his OCT with both subretinal and intraretinal fluid in his left eye. And so we started uh, treatments at that point in time, he was twenty-fifty in that left eye, never had treatment before. And I started treating him with bevacizumab at that point. A few months later, he comes back with uh, neovascular AMD in his other eye and almost exactly the same picture, a very, very large PED, a large serous PED with subretinal fluid and intraretinal fluid. And we started him on monthly bevacizumab to try to calm him down and get everything dry. However, you know, the left eye, even though everything got dry, that PED height was still very, very high. And over time, as we kept treating, I could never get him past about four or five weeks. I also really like treat and extend just like uh, Lisa, but this was not someone I could extend. So I switched him to a Flibercept. And on a Flibercept, it was the same situation where he just had tons of fluid. He, uh, unfortunately in the right eye developed a RPE tear, which was one of the things that I was concerned about initially when I first started treating him and why I started with Bevacizumab was to try to reduce that risk, but because of the persistent disease activity, I, when I switched him to flivercept, he did get that RPE tear, and he's kind of stayed in that same situation. The right eye has this large serous PED with a temporal RPE tear. Fortunately, it's not in the macula, but he remains with both sub and intraretinal fluid anytime he goes past a four week treatment interval. The left eye, is doing a little better. There's not as much fluid, but if if we keep him at a four week interval, he doesn't have any fluid. In the right eye though, there's always subretinal fluid. I've never been able to get rid of it because of that uh, RPE tear. And we've just, I've continued to treat him. I've continued to inject him every four or five weeks. And every time he comes in, he complains about the weight. He complains about the treatment intervals. He keeps asking about new alternative therapies, and he goes online and he tries to find things. But um, we've stuck with the aflibercept for him, and his vision is doing fantastic. He's now four years out with every four to six week treatments. That entire time for both eyes, he's getting at this point. I usually do a monthly aflibercept for both eyes. He's twenty thirty in the right eye, the one with the RP tear, and twenty forty in the left eye but we keep treating him. And he is just adamant every time. He's like, well, I heard there's this new drug in clinical trials. I want to be in it. And you can't, you don't need it. You've been active for too long. So he, he keeps asking for what we can do. Well, I tell you these,
0: these uh, images that Sumit just showed for our listeners are just some of the broadest gnarliest looking PEDs. I mean, the, this is just amazing that you kept this patient with such good vision Lisa, any tips or pearls for managing the patient with this aggressive, ugly-looking PED like Sumit showed?
1: I mean, honestly, I, I, I totally agree with you. Like, he's starting with the mast and whatnot, but it, and it's it's crazy and and it's so funny. Even switching from Lucentis to Ilea, you know, people are like, "It's it's anti-veget. Why, why would you even try the differences?" But with these kind of things, you know, you just don't know what you're going to get. And even talking to the patients about it, well, it could rip on its own if we don't treat it. And but um, yeah, I still, I still think it's, it's, it's really, really tough like that. But I gotta tell you, I've been pleasantly surprised just consistently go, go, go for the most part. Um, even with a rip, you can just, you don't give up. You, you keep going, going and treat them again. Uh, and they, do, they can get some decent vision there. So, but it's uh, not the prettiest looking pictures, man. I thought my case was not so fun, but wow all right.
0: (laughs) Yeah. These are some rough looking, looking eyes. And Sumit, you, you've got to be credited and the patient has to be credited with sticking to this. I cannot believe the patient four years later is 2030 and 2040. He's very lucky, but he's also had some uh, very diligent care. Um, and, and I just feel like this guy's, you know, one missed shot away from ending up 2200 in both eyes. I mean, it is a, it's a scary looking image.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And the crazy thing is, if he goes six weeks, those PEDs increase in size rapidly. And I, I feel the same way. He misses and he's at eight weeks, he's going to go downhill. He has fortunately never gone longer than six weeks between treatments. And I think that's the only reason why his vision is still as good as it is.
0: Wow. So this is this aggressive bilateral disease, getting a flibicep every four to five weeks. I can't wait to hear what you're going to say after the break you would consider doing for this patient in the, in the future. This is a tough case, a really tough case. So I want to take a little break here. And when we come back, uh, we're going to hear what Sumit and Lisa would do for their patients with some of these newer therapies. Welcome back to the new Retina Radio miniseries, Matching Patients to Therapy in Wet AMD. I'm John Kitchens, and I'm here with Dr. Sumit Sharma and Dr. Lisa Fea. All right, guys. So before the break, we heard from Lisa and, and her real-world case, which just is so relevant. We see these patients every every day. Difficult patient from a social standpoint, bilateral exudative AMD. Uh, can't extend out the treatment on this, on this gentleman. He's had long-term therapy. Fellow eye is intermittently needing injections and cannot come back for bilateral injections because he has to drive himself. So, Lisa, you've been treating this patient with a variety of anti VEGF agents. We have a couple of new things on the horizon. How would that influence your future decisions for this patient?
1: Well, you know, uh, as Sumit had talked about before, we, we could still switch to yet another uh, anti VEGF. Um, the reset was also available, but I told him for the most part, you know, we might get a, a few more weeks out of it, but at the most part, he was still worried about. Uh, the weather and, and issues with follow-up and coming to see me. So he was asking me about more long-term therapies. And you know, is there something that lasts for like four months? Is there something that lasts for a year? And I was like, well, you know, they do have things like that for, for UVIs and inflammation and they are actually working on stuff. And, uh, and so in speaking to him with that aspect, um, we talked about, again, a, a, an injection that might last longer uh, versus that of an implant. And so he kind of looks at me, he's like, implant. Can you do that in the office? I said, Well, the one that I'm thinking about, uh, no, you have to go to the operating room. Would that be a problem? He said, No, nah, it's just a little inconvenient. I said, That's okay. I said, You think you can get someone to drive you? He said, hmm, I think I can find someone for that. And that's kind of, I think his whole thing would be it's a one time thing. You know, yeah, they got to knock me out, take the guy out to lunch the next day, whatever. So that wouldn't be as big of a deal. So he wasn't afraid of the operating room uh, from that aspect. And knowing that he'd still have to be followed for the left eye it made him feel better that even I would check for the right eye because again he was worried about you know the medicine being released to am I gonna have the same effect. He was, you know, you get to 2040 and he was pretty happy with that. And you know, to know that, that he wasn't actually going to get an injection every time and not knowing how it was going to be released and what kind of all that kind of fun stuff. Um he had some concerns about that. But actually I really thought he was be more concerned at 78 about going to the operating room. He's like nah. So uh, we did. We actually did start talking about that a little bit before the FDA approval, trying to, uh, to get things set up because uh, again, with new meds coming on the market there, you know, it does take time. So that was something that I felt would be great for him because again, right eye is taken care of and the left eye, yeah. You know, right now it's been eight months between the two injections. Is it always going to be that way? No. And if it's not, might we have to do more sustained than that one? Yeah. But at this point, even if it's every three months, it's still three times less of what he was doing before.
0: You know, Lisa, it's a, it's a great thought to, to put uh, the Susvemo port delivery system implant in a patient like this. And I'm just thinking about, you mentioned it, Michigan and the travel and winter. You know, gosh, you get a susvimo implant in a patient um, and they can go spring and fall. They can miss that entire winter window Sumit, when you're thinking about port delivery um, for patients, who do you think are going to be some of the first patients we choose for this therapy?
2: I think it's somebody kind of like Lisa's patient who is requiring very, very frequent therapy, is okay with going to the operating room for the first visit. I think there's a few things that we have to consider that we haven't really thought about in AMD A&B patients before. One is what's the status of their conjunctiva? Do they have good conjunctiva that will be able to put the port in and cover the port? because there is an increased risk of infection. And I think that that concern is really relevant with conjunctival retraction. And so we have to be really careful at and, and learn to evaluate the conjunctiva in these patients. And then secondly, is this somebody who is, for lack of a better word, squirrely in clinic with injections? Is it barely, I can barely get the injection in because they struggle with it? Or is this somebody who can maintain a gaze downwards and just kind of maintain it while I do the refill? Because these refills take longer and they require a lot more cooperation from the patient. So I think we've got to have a little bit more thought and nuance in terms of, is it the right patient, especially initially when you're first doing these until you feel more comfortable with not just the procedure but also the refill uh, procedures.
0: You know that's a really great point. I think we we think about hey we're doing surgery on this patient and all of those things but it, it is a bit more of an intensive process to do the refills. Lisa so you've approached this patient about port delivery and is he on board and looking forward to doing it or what's the what's the future plans?
1: Yeah, he is. He's actually it's so funny because again at the whole winter time he Two things. He was now afraid of the OR and he's like, you know, I think I met my deductible. Do you think they'll have it by the end of December? I said, no, I don't, I don't think it will be, but maybe I might be wrong. So <laughs> I love I love sometimes how patients think. And uh, you know, he is not squirrely in clinic, clinic and again, it's not like which I, I you know, I I did think about it, but I didn't think about that much because again, he's just so calm and cool. But uh, you know, eh, sure, go to the OR. But that's so funny about the, uh, yes, that's what he meant. It's deductible. So I said, I unfortunately don't think it's going to be like an aspect. He's like, well, I thought I'd try, you know, that kind of attitude. So no, he would, he's very excited about it. And he still also likes, feels good that, you know, the left eye will still be treated. still looked at, I'll still, again, like I said, look at the right eye, just in case it's not releasing the way it should. Or, and I told him I can supplement. That's not a problem. And he's like, okay, okay, good. Alrighty. Yeah, let's go. And so as soon as I, I can get I can get it, he's uh, he's all lined up and ready to go. so,
0: And he may be a perfect person for home OCT someday for that left eye monitoring and even maybe even watching that right eye. um And, and a guy like this may go beyond six months potentially with the PDS in that eye. So excited to follow up in six months or a year and find out how he's doing. So you had a challenging case medically, a guy with just aggressive pigment epithelial detachments that would get worse if you went six or seven weeks in between his injections. Credit to you and credit to the patient for staying on top of him. With these new therapies, um, a- including fericumab and, and poor delivery system available, what would you do for your patient in the
2: future? Yeah, so I've had that discussion with him already that port delivery system's already approved. I think it's a reasonable option because it'll give us continued treatment for those six months at least, and maybe longer and maybe shorter. We don't know. Cause he is very, as you mentioned, very, very aggressive, uh, PEDs. But, you know, what I talked to him a little bit more about was actually considering doing uh, farisumab once it's available first to see what kind of response he has. So one thing that I don't think we have great data on yet, and I think we'll get it as time goes on and some of this data is analyzed, is what happens to fibrotic vessels with furisumab because of the change in the mechanism of having that extra anti-ANG2 mechanism, I think will help with, I, I hope will help with fibrosis. I don't know if it will, but from a mechanistic standpoint with the role of ANG2 on endothelial cell stabilization and the role of blocking it with destabilization, hopefully will allow us to see some antifibrotic effect, maybe. Uh, we'll see as we get more data on this and as we see how patients with these large PEDs did in the clinical trials as well.
0: Yeah, I really think those are the the patients like yours are the ones that we're going to judge furisimab by, you know, just like we did with a Lisa, what are going to be some of the patients that you use furisimab for when it first becomes available?
1: Well, you know, I know the uh, drug companies never like hearing this, but the patients that are like students, you know, that they're resistant or we've gone through everything. And I mean, I have some patients that, you know, again, they're not going to like to hear this, that I I see every three weeks. And so since I can't get covered for less than four weeks, and so this is a sample day. This is a lucentus, real lucentus day or whatever it is. And so uh, that kind of aspect, you know, even if they are responding. And so um, I think that would be great mechanistically to see, again, that response with these, you know, not so pretty cases. And, um, you know, those patients are really ready for something different. While other people are like, well, I can go eight weeks. Why? Really? I mean, am I going to really push it from there? Am I going to, how is it going to be different versus the person like, I can't do this anymore. And I want I need to keep this vision. So again, those kind of failures are going to probably be the first and then uh, kind of extending it from there.
0: You know, it's really unique that we're going to have uh, ferisumab actually approved for both DME and exudative age-related macular degeneration here very shortly. Sumit, which are you more excited about? Are you more excited about ferisumab for DME or are you more excited about ferisumab for exudative AMD and why?
2: So it's a great question. I think that the the nice thing in DME at least for my treatment resistant patients is I have alternative treatment options where we can go to steroids and we have a couple different options for steroids for DME. We don't have that for AMD and for these super treatment resistant patients where I'm just injecting, injecting, injecting or even sometimes alternating injections in order to get them treated as frequently as they need, I, I'm very excited for furisimab there because we're finally going to have something new for them that has a good safety profile, at least based on the clinical trials, and um, may offer them the ability to go either longer in between treatments or to get better responses with the treatment.
0: And Lisa, for you, um, we have two amazing new options. We have Farisumab. we have Susvimo or port delivery system. Which are you more excited about for your patients and why?
1: Well, that's, you know, I'm a, uh, I usually use the, the implants for uveitis, so I, I'm excited about ex, extended implant, but I got to tell you the whole ang2 uh, component of frisimab is to me very exciting because I think it's uh, with the additional molecules and all that fun stuff, I, I really want to see how things are going to respond. Um, not that the implant's boring, but, you know, I've done implants and uh, I'm really looking forward to see uh, the effect. Um, for the patients, not just like anatomically, what their OCT looks like, but the long-term um, how things settle uh, and their final visual acuities. So I guess just because of the nerdy background, I'm a little more excited about the first of them.
0: It certainly seems like it's more of an option for a broader market of patients. You know, I mean, we talk about DME, you talk about AMD, more specific for the patients that are going to need an implant. I think it's not as many, but boy, is it going to be valuable are these two things, frisimab and CisVmo, are they complementary or are they more competitive? What do you think, Sumit?
2: So I, I'm not sure. So I think that the interesting thing about them are, is going to be you can actually put in a sessVmo in someone and if they have a breakthrough, treat them with a <laughs> And So in some ways, I think they're going to be complementary. In other ways, if they both give us extended duration of effect, um, which I'm hopeful that they will, based on what we've seen in the clinical trials, they are going to be competitive with each other as well. So so I think it, it's a combination of both.
0: I think that's a great answer. Listen, I, I think that this is absolutely a fantastic discussion. I love hearing about these cases. We we heard the first episode, some more basic cases where we really just couldn't treat and extend the patients out any further than six or seven weeks. These were really tough cases, guys. And the kind of cases that challenge us day in and day out. And for our benefit, for our patient's benefit, we have two new therapies that are coming with furisimab and Susvemo or port delivery system. And I think you made a great case for, for each for these types of patients. That's a wrap for this episode of Matching Patients to Therapy and Wet AMD. We have one more episode coming out. So stick with your podcast feeds. Be sure to go back and listen to our first episode with Drs. Adrian Scott and Dr. Carl Rogillo. On behalf of Dr. Lisa Fea and Sumit Sharma, I'm Dr. John Kitchens. Thanks for joining us.